Stories, fables, ghostly tales. This episode is not for little ears. That doesn't mean small people or mythological dwarves. This is not intended for specifically children. The Fae won't be offended, I assure you. So please, do not listen to this episode with kiddies around. Okay, on to your stories, mates. When the old smoke goes. The wood popped and cracked beneath the blaze. Below the stars of night and whispers of the wind. The trees shifted and danced above them. And the grass wavered as the wind dashed quietly through the trees and brush. Fireflies flitted through the air, buzzing quietly and shining like tiny stars in the warm glow of flames. Marshmallows roasted over the flame, smoke rose into the air, and the laughter of the young party sparked into the night sky. They made smalls and watched the sky. Tonight, the constellations danced around comets that blazed through the astral sea before becoming the dust of the great void. The stars blazed with light that forever outshined the campfire. Trails of flames dazzled their eyes, and the serenades of the forest sat softly in their ears. They took in the scent of the flame and smoke, and wondered where in the sky it goes. Would it join the clouds, the stars? A myriad of questions filled their minds, Thoughts bubbling up like a beautiful yet terrible mass. The sky glowed as if to answer a response that no one could hear. The earth rumbled and the stars shook. They all gasped in awe and glee with widened eyes. As the stars fell all around them, they couldn't be hurt. They just knew it. The fireflies knew it and the owls too. It was just scarily stunning, a starfall unlike any other. Fireflies glowing like torches in the night and the trees spiraling in their ancient dance. The party of man began to dance around the campfire. They danced with the trees, the owls, the stars, and sand as the stars themselves took shape. Something ancient danced with them, prehistoric and forgotten, a dinosaur like none seen before, a dinosaur like man. The whole of the forest seemed to be alive, alive beneath the slow descent of the sky that shattered like glass. As the shards rained down, so too did the constellations, beasts more ancient than life, immortal and beautiful. The constellations danced with them as smoke filled the air. A beautiful hell surrounded them, the earth shattering as they continued to dance and sing, more alive than ever as the world crumbled. Ursa Major and Minor roared a deep bass to the rhythm. Cancer and Scorpio snapped and clapped their quick tempos, and the Gemini twins sung their melodies. Stars burned around them, destroying all as they delighted in their peace. The earth tore open and the sky was blank as they all fell back and laughed as their energy ebbed. The stars continued to call to them as the world slowed and rebuilt. 
They breathed in the smoke of their flame, a last taste of their joyous dance and song. The stars pulled away into the sky. The earth healed and the flame died away. No more did the forest sing. The trees did not sway and the wind was quiet and still. There was calm, but they knew. It would all return when the old smoke goes and a new flame glows. Written by X Ghost Bear X In My Mind by Monotoned Everything happens for a reason, and everyone says these exact words, but in my mind, it's different. So although tangents such as these make no sense, they aren't foreign or lies. Let me recall the truth of my mind and my sightings. It was eight o'clock in the morning, and the alarm was blaring as it does every day. I slowly sat up and groaned, then glanced around my room and fell back into my pillow again. Who willingly would want to leave their bed to head to work? Maybe people that want money, stability, or a future. (sighs) I should get to work then. I flipped myself out of bed, walked over to my dresser, and began to rummage through my clothes until I found the perfect outfit for the day. A simple red and black flannel and a pair of jeans. I had come to the emphasis about fitting stereotypes for loggers. I continued to rummage through my drawers, perhaps looking for something to wear that wasn't nearly as, well, stereotypical. I took my socks from the top drawer and dropped my left sock onto the wooden floor. How do I specifically know it was my left sock? Because I simply can't stand my left foot. It's never been helpful to me for anything other than biking, running, walking, and a few other critical activities, but that's beside the point. I bent down to pick up my sock. As I reached for it, I watched a deformed, grey hand quickly grasp onto the sock and drag it under the drawer. I took a few steps back, and my mind began to race. How is that even possible? How could someone fit under the drawer? Nope. I need to get my answers now. I carefully walked over to my toy cabinet in the opposite corner of the room and slowly took out my old disco ball toy. I had one in an arcade. I tossed it under the dresser. It played some music and began to light up. I watched it for five minutes and nothing happened. I sighed. I had to be losing it. There's nothing under my drawer, and the wind just blew the sock. Yeah, that sounds like a plausible conclusion. I approached the disco ball, and as I did, I watched it roll out from under the drawers and into the hallway by itself. I know for a fact that the ball wasn't automated. As I went to exit my room and into the hallway, I kept my eyes locked on the drawer. Once I entered the hallway, I watched the ball roll until it stopped before my mother's door. Sweetie, are you you playing playing with your ball again? again? I heard a voice come from the other side of the door that led to my mother's room. I recognized that voice instantly. It was my mother's voice. No one else could talk as smoothly or as kindly as she did. My mother has been dead for six years. And I will not tolerate pranks pulled on me regarding her death. 
I entered cautiously back into my room and crouched before my bed, slid out of my black box and rummaged through bloodied papers. I took the revolver out, loaded the bullets as quickly as possible into the chamber, cocked the gun, and walked back to my mother's room in the hallway. I shot the lock off the door that led to my mother's room, and watched as the lights turned on underneath the doorframe. I charged the door open, and spastically began to point the revolver around the old dusty room. There was not one person in sight, but a rope dangling above a chair in the center of the room. And the window was wide open. I quickly walked over to the window and began to yell out of it, cursing whoever was pulling this prank on me. My mother hung herself, but not too many people knew this. I kept it as a secret because it's depressing to talk about, but secrets do not remain hidden. I slammed the window, then turned around and instantly before me, I saw my old friend from high school, Gerald, hanging from the rope in the ceiling above the chair. What? I don't understand. It wasn't like this. I walked over to the corner and puked several times. I suddenly felt dizzy. What was wrong with me? Am I crazy? I faced the body again, then turned away towards the window and puked again. As I slowly held my head up, feeling incredibly sick, I saw it was nighttime now outside. It was just daytime. None of this makes any sense. I can't take this anymore. I turned around and stared at Gerald's body. I'm so sorry, Gerald. I wish I'd never told you about my mother. I know you struggled with depression constantly. I know it's a battle. I abandoned you in college because I didn't have time to make time for you. I wish I could rewind time and hold you once more. We were more than just friends. We were brothers. I sat there next to him, and the tear began to roll down my face. I dropped the revolver, pulled the chair next to his body, untied the knot he was hanging from, and gently held his body as he fell into my arms. I couldn't control the wave of emotions I felt, just like the day I had lost her. I rested my head against his shoulder and continued to mourn until I heard a sudden crash from the hallway. Then I quickly glanced up with tears in my eyes, and the sound brought my attention to the doorway. The second I glanced at the door, I watched a figure's head, peering in from the hallway, quickly retreat. I've had enough of your games, I yelled. I gently rested Gerald on the floor, then wiped the tears from my face. I'll avenge you, Gerald. I'll avenge my mother. I'll fix it all for us. I walked out to my mother's room and back into the hallway. A hand on the wooden railing quickly retreated down the stairs. I quickly descended the stairs and stopped once I noticed the wide open basement door. When I was younger, I used to sleep down here. My mother insisted it was the safest place for me to be while my father drank himself into his stupor. I would spend hours down there watching Courage the Cowardly Dog. It was the best show in my opinion. Spending every day in the basement was okay because I knew it was where I was the safest until it wasn't. My father never cared about me and he hated me. He wished he could kill me 
before being born, said I took away my mother's and his freedom. That night, he barged into the basement with a bottle of poison after physically abusing my mother to get her to tell where I was hiding. He saw me watching TV in the basement corner and approached me angrily. He kicked the TV off its stand and tossed the bottle against the wall and it shattered. He kept yelling at me, grabbing by the shirt collar and began to shake me. In what felt like slow motion, I watched as my mother came up from behind him and hit him in the head with our toaster. Oh. I watched as his body dropped in front of me and the blood began to rush from his head. My mother checked his neck for a pulse. She had killed him by accident. I watched as she started to scream and cry. She ran back up the stairs in a panic. That's the whole premise to the night that she had removed her life from my own. They were ruined by the accursed boy, tied to their fate by the rope and destroyed by the bottle. I have blamed myself daily for everything, but would rather live in my mind. I walked into the kitchen and grabbed a flashlight from one of the cabinets, and then went back to the basement and began to walk down the old, creaking stairs. I stared at the clothes basket in the corner of the stairs and just walked past it. I remember putting my clothes in that basket for many, many years. As I walked down the stairs, the hairs on my neck began to stand and my head began to spin. Once I had reached the floor level of the basement, I saw my blanket in the corner and a strange, abnormally large handprint on the wall. I couldn't determine how, or why the handprint was there, or why it was so big. I should have been more alarmed about this, but I've come to expect crazy things like this. I photographed the handprint with my phone, and then turned around and saw it. I saw myself. I waved, and he waved back. I walked up to myself and hugged myself. It's not your fault. I watched as the other me nodded and stepped back into the darkness, being completely consumed. A disfigured woman came out before me, her eyes black and distorted. I fell backward onto my behind and crawled back as far as I could. Her entire body twisted as she approached me. She locked her eyes with mine. The memories of my family began to flash before my eyes, and then finally, I heard a gunshot. My vision was blurry, but I saw Gerald lowering the revolver as he came to hug me and lift me. And in my hand was a bottle of alcohol. I watched as it fell from my hands, as he began to help me out of the basement. The twisted woman thawed us up a few steps before stopping where the light hit the stairs. She slowly crept back into the darkness. I am not alone, and I am right in my mind. I watched Gerald bash through the front door while helping me stand, and then a bright sun ray engulfed us both. Six years later, I continued to spy on that house after I had sold it. I kept track of the new owners that I sold to. The family had committed mass suicide, except for the daughter. She had survived her mutilation. According to the police report, she carved out her own eyeballs and broke all of her fingers, as well as her arm. The cause is unknown. So I went to the asylum where police held her after months of review. I stood before her cell and braced myself to talk to her through the bars. I asked about her family. 
and I got nothing. No responses. What a waste of time. As I turned and began to walk away from her cell, she yelled out suddenly, The Morsia comes for you. She knows your guilt and mine. I kept walking away. I knew she was insane and I couldn't be bothered to speak normally. Exiting the prison, I threw my notes and photos in the trash. Out of sight. Out of mind. It's time for a restart. The Morsia. Written by Monotone. I am in some kind of dreamland. As I look around, I can see waves of white powder. A strange voice calling my name. As if beckoning me. I got up for the first time and chased that voice that formerly embraced me. Although, as I followed the voice, the waves of white powder I stood on began to try to bring me down. I used both arms to latch onto the powder and pull myself out before I began to sink. As I pulled myself, I landed face up to the pure black sky, inhaling, and all I felt was pure coldness. I awoke and instantly sat up. Looking around, I was in some sort of alley, and my vision was blurry, and I felt sick. I looked down at my arm, and I removed the heroin needle. Damn it. I said I would quit. Well, so much for the attempt at stopping. Sorry, Michael. He'll understand, right? That's what lovers do. They're there for you even when you aren't there for yourself or them. As I attempted to stand, I put my back against the wall to support myself because I felt a sudden wave of vertigo come over me. I swear these symptoms are getting worse every time. As I walked, my head hurt like hell. I put my hand on my head and dizzily approached the road. As I began to walk across the street, I watched as blinding lights came at me at incredible speeds. I held up my hand in front of my face to block the brightness of the lights. Then, I watched as a man parked on the side of the street and exited his vehicle. As he stepped out of the car, he ran in what felt like slow motion towards me and wrapped his warm and embracing arms around me. As he spoke, it was muffled. My ears began to ring and my vision was blurry. He held up his flashlight and shined it in my face and then helped me get into the backseat of the car. I lay on my back with eyes closed. I didn't feel good enough to open my eyes. I could hear Michael's voice coming from the front seat and I knew he was there for me. I opened my eyes and, and a twisted woman was lying on the ceiling of the car. Her one eye wholly rotated onto the side her other eye looking away from me, her mouth wide and gaping, and her body? Well, what? I'm just seeing things. I wiped my eyes, and she was still there, but her hand reached for me this time. I quickly sat up and backed away from her as much as I could. I blinked again, and her other hand was now facing me as well. My heart began to beat faster, and she began to twitch and approach me at incredible speed. I covered my face with my hands and heard a car horn. I uncovered my face and watched the car's light behind us beam into the back seat. 
I kept looking around, not knowing what or who that was. What was that? How do I even describe what just happened? I sat up and glared at Michael, and he turned back and looked at me in confusion as we sat at a red light. What the hell were you thinking? I thought I told you to quit with the needles. You're going to kill yourself if you keep that up. I nodded. Well, why don't you try being in my shoes with my work and trying to figure out a solid schedule for everything? Sometimes you all need a break, man. He continued to glare at me. I am in your shoes and I share your life. I have sacrificed my work hours to rescue you because you haven't answered your phone for six hours. You were gone for six hours. I thought you were dead, Elijah. And surely could have been dead. You're a moron. I watched as a tear rolled down his face. He faced away from me and focused on driving. I somehow felt even worse now. He cares so much and I give so little in return. My eyes began to darken. I suddenly felt exhausted and before I knew it, I blacked out. The following day, I awoke on the couch and stared at the blind of the apartment as the sun beamed down onto the floor and back into my eyes. Man, that's bright. I got up and I stared at my new clothes. I had one of Michael's short sleeve shirts on. I looked down at my arm at the spot where I'd been injecting myself. It looked infected and disgusting. I would describe it more, but I can't without feeling sick. I looked away and felt like puking instantly. I remembered the terrifying woman who appeared to me last night and her every detail, from her twisted body to her face. So I quickly ran over to one of the shelves and began sketching her as accurately and as best as possible. After all, I was a top student in art class in middle school. It took me literally hours to draw her to the best of my ability, and once I finished, I felt complete. Once I finished drawing, I went to my room and took my stash of needles hidden under my jacket. I sighed as I stared down at my despair. I started doing this crap about a year ago. I went to a party with my friend Natalia in high school. We both were the life of the party. She was a great friend. So what happened was, well, terrible. And I am terrible. Basically, at the party, we both were high and we encouraged a friend of ours named Gerald to do heroin, and he did. Still, he had already taken every other drug imaginable beforehand. He had a seizure, and he was gone for his junior year. Natalia and I believed we had killed the kid, and the pressure and guilt we felt were unimaginable. Natalia couldn't handle it, so she overdosed and was found dead in her parents' bedroom. It's messed me up, but that's the price we have to pay. I looked down at my pocket as I felt a sudden vibration. I pulled out my phone and read the text message on my lock screen. It was Michael saying he would be home in five minutes. Is it the end of the workday already? How long was I out for? I heard a knock on the apartment door, so I got off my bed and answered. I opened it and glared around the hallway as I saw nobody. I noticed the janitor's closet down the hall was open and still slightly moving. Hey, I wasn't expecting to see you again, Liam. How goes the cleaning upstairs? 
Is it still awful? I yelled and got no response. I thought this was strange, since he was usually talkative. I went down the hallway, peered into the closet, and saw a yellow note on the black box. The handwriting, admittedly, was horrible. But it read, Mortier. What on earth is a Mortier? Is it similar to a tortilla? Huh. I took my phone out and snapped a photo of it, and then I picked up the paper and crippled it up into a ball before putting it in the trash bin in the closet. It had to be some sort of prank, but it wasn't funny. Hey, I just want to let you know that if you're still here, stop being a wise guy, alright? I yelled, shut the janitor closet, walked back to the apartment, entered, and shut the door behind me. I saw the same note I had just crumbled and thrown into the trash in the janitor's closet was now on the floor before me. Wait, I thought I just got rid of this stupid note. I bent down to pick it up and noticed the blinds moving abnormally, almost as if something had touched them. Is someone here? I yelled. And then the entire building had a sudden blackout. Damn! I grabbed my phone, turned on my flashlight and began to look around in the dark. I heard a strange crackling sound coming from behind me. I shined my light behind me and saw a woman facing the corner. No. I've seen Blair Witch more than a few times to know where this is going. I'm good. I'm good. I kept my eyes on the figure as I backed up slowly into the door to my room. I turned to open it quickly, and then, as I got it open, I turned back to see the woman suddenly in my face, with her hands out, as if to grab me. I fell backward and continued to crawl backward until I reached the bed. I kept my eyes on her while trying to reach with my right arm under the bed to grab anything that could help. I pulled out a flashlight and then turned it on, and to my surprise, a bright purple beam of light hit the figure. It slowly began to dissipate, and the lights flickered and came back on. Wait a minute, this light isn't a flashlight. I bought this ultraviolet light when I was into ghost hunting, but it seemed to do the trick. It seems like whatever monster or entity is after me, is afraid of ultraviolet. I quickly got up, grabbed my laptop from my bed, brought up the search engine and typed in Mortia. Instantly, I found something titled The Little Girl and Mass Suicide. I began to read the article. The author's name was Carlos, and he began to talk about how he battled alcohol addiction and had been haunted by an evil being called the Mortia. A being whom he believes attacks those lost in guilt or struggle. Yeah, that checks out. I scrolled down to the end of the article, and it says that he was helped by his best friend, Gerald. Wait, as in the Gerald I know. I studied the picture of the author and Gerald together, and it looked exactly like the boy from the party. So, he is alive then? I'm so sorry, Natalia, but now I know for both of us. I have nothing to be afraid of or guilty of anymore. I grabbed the needles hidden under my jacket in my closet, threw them into my trash can, flicked a match into the trash and watched the fire. It was pretty watching the flames engulf the past and my guilt. I believe I'd found peace of mind in the end, but I wonder, will others be able to? Wired Observer 
I found myself in the hospital, looking up at the ceiling. My vision is getting blurry, and I'm struggling to breathe. I look up at the monitor beeping faster and faster beside me. There are so many things I still wanted to do before I died. A tear runs down my face and my vision darkens. I can only just hear the sound of a brief door slam and nurses surrounding me. And then, I completely black out. Nothing surrounds me now. Just darkness stretching indefinitely, infinitely. With every step I take, the evening ripples below me like water. I kept walking for what felt like forever, until I heard a deep voice in the distance that drilled fear into my heart. Humans, they think, can change and cheat death. The voice echoed through the darkness, and the ripples around me became more like waves. I was confused, but I knew I couldn't stop, so I kept walking as far as I could. Eventually, I heard a familiar voice talking with someone else, saying something I couldn't quite make out, until I got closer in the darkness and could hear it perfectly. I'm sorry, sir. There's nothing we could do for your son. It was quiet, until I heard another voice I instantly recognised. Then give Onyx's body back to me. I will figure something else out myself. I refuse to let him die like this. Eventually, as I kept walking in the darkness, I followed my father's voice to the best of my ability and reached a strangely dark, large, oozing building. I walked over to the building, pushed as hard as I could against the oozing door with my shoulder, and knocked it down. As I entered the building, I looked around and instantly locked eyes with what looked like me. We both turned our heads at one another, almost like a mirror. I turned to see a boy in the corner holding a ball of light, and I instantly knew I had to grab it. I ran as fast as I could, and my eyes looked over to see this other version of myself's neck and neck with me, racing me to the boy holding the ball of light. But his eyes weren't focused on me, they were focused on the boy. I looked down at my leg as I felt something snagging me by the foot. The ooze was pulling me down. I watched as the other version of me picked up the little boy by its neck and snapped it with no regard. He took the ball from the child, approached me and crouched before me with it in his hands. The black ooze had utterly engulfed my body. I unexpectedly reached for the ball of light in his hands and pulled him into the dark ooze with me. Suddenly, the ball of light became more prominent as we both held it and it became brighter until it swallowed both of us all together. A bright light pointed down at me, and I watched as the words, loading, complete in blue, faded from my eyes. I glared at the light. Where am I? I thought to myself, and then automatically, images and data began to flow into my head like magic. Somehow I knew I was in my father's work office. I looked down at the restraints on my wrists, which were made of metal, my eyes zoomed in on them strangely, and the words Automatic Titanium Cuff Bracelet came across my vision in blue, blinking text. What? Is that even possible? I looked at the computer with unlocked cuffs blinking on the screen in the corner of my room. Then a strange blue confirmed button appeared on my eyeballs. I said yes in my head, and the cuffs on my wrists unlocked. I glared at my hand and the computer. What's wrong with me? I got up, and I stared at all the equipment. It all looked dusty, almost as if nobody had touched it in ages. I turned away from all the strange machinery, and entered the dark and ominous hallway. My eyes lit up, almost as if I had put on the old night vision goggles 
I had as a child. Suddenly, I could see everything in a static blue hue. As I walked, I looked around at all the equipment that looked utterly out of place. The site seemed abandoned. Hello? I yelled out, only to receive no response as expected. I continued on my way until I reached an arcway that branched into two robotic rooms. A strange person came out of the room on the right, into the archway, and stood before me perfectly still. Hello? I yelled out again. The person yelled back the exact words. Hello? I said the same. I stepped back, and they approached me with a knife at incredible speed. I ran away as fast as I could and hid behind some of the boxes in the dark hallway. I waited until the individual chasing me walked beside me. It was at that point I knew what I had to do. I jumped out and tackled them to the ground, glaring into their dark, soulless eyes. Reflected in them was a boy with white hair and a blue haze around his eyes. Hello, Hello Onyx. I, I am, am Onyx. His voice said as it crackled and distorted. I studied his appearance in his eyes and looked at my own in the reflection of his eyeballs. I fell back a few feet and rested against a box. My thoughts began to compose on my eyeballs in blue flashing text, and then I entered my question. Where are the humans that worked here? Images of a terrible explosion appeared before my eyes, followed by an article about the death of John Onyx, and several other brilliant scientists responsible for the ability to completely transfer a human's life into a cyborg's body. Is that what I am? In that case, am I dead? I can't be. My father's fine. I glared out at the other version of me, who was now gone, and quickly rushed to my feet. I began looking for an exit sign. When I found one, I ran toward it as fast as I could. Suddenly, the other version of me appeared in front of me and pushed me to the ground harshly. His eyes began to leak a black, oily substance as he repeated my father's voice back to me. Onyx will be the most remarkable scientist in all of humanity's future. And he's got a good heart from his mother. Mother. Another voice line played in my father's voice. This first version of Onyx is mindless and does not possess my boy's kindness of love. Or love, love. Something else has entered this cyborg body before he could. And I must destroy it. Screaming sounds began to play that sounded like my father's voice. I watched as his head turned towards the knife and realized what had happened. He murdered my father and the other scientists and caused an explosion as a cover-up. What the hell is this monster? He vanished instantly. I ran straight up the exit stairs and made it outside. There was nothing but a foundation remaining. The area where the company contained him and me was completely underground, which explained why the explosion didn't reach us. Suddenly, something shot me in the eyes and I could no longer see. A blue text error message popped across my face. I turned back towards where the shot came from and could still sense the bullet's trajectory. If only my father had never turned me into this. If only he had loved me instead of trying to force me to improve. I saw an old rusted knife next to me and picked it up. Humans, they think, think can change and cheat death. But the truth is, I am now dead, dead. The next thing I knew, I was in front of my father, holding the knife in my hands. I stared out of the broken glass window that my father's body was beside, and I watched as the reactor that powered the building exploded. 
and the bright light engulfed me instantly. A bright light pointed down at me, and I watched as the words loading, complete in blue, faded from my eyes. I glared at the light, but this time, I knew what I was. I am the Wired Observer, and I am free. Well, my lovely listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Back-to-back sound effects and audio. I've included over 100 sound effects, over 30 audio melodies, and holy schmoly, was it fun. I hope you enjoyed every single second of the sci-fi-esque, creepy, and atmospheric tales I brought to your earballs today. A big shout-out to Avloxum, also known as Monotone, a wonderful writer, and I really enjoyed showcasing their work today. Be sure to visit their wiki pages in the links that you'll see in this episode's notes. Now, do you want to give a telltale a pip in their step? Do you want to see more stories from different authors appear on the show? Well, if you're a lovely Patreon, that's exactly what you'll support. Visit my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT, and bam, you can send me some dollar dues my way to improve the show. And speaking of those that already do that, Patreons first and foremost, my legendary Ode Night Tea Titan, Matto Star. From in the stratosphere, this godly visage reaches deep into the Earth's crust and hurls me into space with the force of 42 elephants. Matto, thank you so much for your amazing support, your brilliant communications, and your kind-hearted emails. Hope my emails have reached you well, mate, and I've rested and recovered enough to actually record today's episode with only a handful of coughs. For you lovely listeners out there that are new or just joining us, I was sick for around two weeks and I'm still recovering. Rough as guts, mates. So, Matto Star, thank you for being such a legend, my pal. You are awesome. Looking forward to your next comms. And my white teak warlord, Lesosaurus Rex, leading the charge into the abyss, fighting the hordes of Bordermites that plague our lands, mate. You're a top-tier legend as well. Thank you so much for being so supportive. A huge cut of the audio today is made possible by legendary supporters like yourself. Thank you immensely, man. From the music and melodies to the sounds of vomit, you, sir, are part of the process. Yes, Lesa, you can tell your co-workers that because of you, a podcast narrator out there is able to use custom vomit sounds, vomited by a professional. Thank you, Lesa, you're a legend. And to the peeps that put a pep in this old telltale's step, I'm lucky to have. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Sunshine Days, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffaelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero. Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Paige Kramer, and Jane Gumnick. Thank you, you epically kind people. Lastly, don't forget to leave a review. I really love iTunes One, so if you have 10 seconds spare, that goes a long way to help me find more epic people like you to listen to the show. I know you love these are few and far between, because you're a special lot. But if you get 10 seconds spare, I'd love an iTunes review. Now, pour your tea, make it nice, ensure your flavouring is precise. Like a story, let it flow, let the fables and tales take you home. It's these stories that bring us together, and old audio that reminds us of how we've changed. Stay a while, have a listen, and as always, I hope to see you again. Cheers, mates. <laughs>